Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Earlier this week, we sat down in Blister headquarters with one of the stars of Matchstick Productions' new film, The Stomping Grounds, which is fantastic, to discuss her personal gear preferences, the ski equipment she'd most like to see get made. We talk about the topic of women-specific gear and the best ways to get more women involved in skiing and more. McKenna Peterson is a phenomenal skier. She has been skiing literally her entire life, and turns out she is a gearhead too. And this episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Black Sheep Sports, in Munich, Germany. I talked to Sebastian earlier this week, and here is some information straight from the man in charge. Sebastian said... Black Sheep Sports is open again on a normal basis, but we still recommend booking appointments for boot fittings because that is the best way to buy boots at our shop. But if you are just stopping by and wanting to chat and have a beer while looking at skis, well, then you can just show up to Black Sheep Sports whenever you want. So if you are in the Munich vicinity, head into Black Sheep Sports or check them out at blacksheepsports.de. And just a couple of other notes here. Over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, Matt Manzer and I spoke with the new World Cup DH overall mountain bike champion, Valley Hole, and we had a great conversation. So you should all definitely check that out with Mr. Manzer and Valley and me over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. Also. You should become a Blister member if you would like to be the first to receive our brand new Winter Buyer's Guide this coming week. Blister members will be receiving a downloadable copy of the guide, and then those who have ordered the beautiful print edition of the guide will be getting that in their hands after it ships out from our printer. So become a Blister member today to get our new guide and a whole bunch of other great perks and deals and our personalized gear recommendations. As always, we will include links to all of those things in the show notes of this episode, and you can also find all of this information on the navigation bar every page on our website. Okay, now, one last thing before we get started. As some of you know, we have an upcoming Blister Summit. I have been mentioning this on some previous Gear 30 episodes, and as I told you last week, our summit director, Kristen Sinnott, and her husband, Patrick, they didn't love what I had to say about the summit. Patrick, I'm very disappointed in this because I feel like he threw me under the bus a little bit. He felt like I could be doing a better job, Um, and then... He thought that maybe what I said last week about, you know, incurious people not going to the related links in the show notes to this episode or going over to the navigation bar on our website, he didn't think that that was still really hitting the bullseye. So what we are doing here is I have asked Kristen Sinnott, 
our summit director to come in and see if maybe she could do a better job than apparently I have been doing. So Kristen, hello. Hey. So I, I don't think Pat hated the last <laughs> time you talked about it, but the one we both remember is like, yeah, you should come because it's a cool event. You're like, well, what's the event? So that's kind of what we were harassing. And then I followed up. And then the next time it was, it was kind of like a litmus test. I'm trying to weed out the incurious people from coming to ruin. They're not going to you know, ruin ruining it. Our we summit. welcome all. See, stretch. That's the best oh. part. Oh, I forgot. We yeah. welcome all. And it's in February. Forgot. February Sorry. 20th we, to I 27th. Forgot. To the 27th. Next. Oh, this, right. It's in. Yep. It's in February. Um, and it's great. It's going to be, it's such a fun event last year. It's going to be a great event this year. I mean, you could talk about how, like what everybody, the feedback everybody gave last year on how it was so much fun to ski with. With me? Well, I don't remember that one specifically, <laughs> um, but they liked skiing with founders and professional athletes and the blister reviewers in general, I guess you fall under that category. And there's so many cool skis mm. that are going to be there. We already have a number already committed. Rosie, Dina Star, Forefront, Folsom, Renown, Wonder Alpine. It's going to be backcountry. It's going to be on mountain. It's just, it's such a fun event. And I, I feel like you haven't emphasized that enough. And it's not a event specifically for industry professionals. It is an event for everyone that loves to ski, loves to ride, come out and join us. And you're, you're going to have a great time. Except it's not an event for incurious people, right? It's not um, for them. I am okay with them attending. I welcome them. Yeah, they can email oh, me if they don't okay. want to click Our the tab. Welcomes just shoot you. me an email. I guess you have to find my email, but yeah. So long and short, the feedback you got from last year is everybody was really, really stoked on skiing with me. Mm. And or oh, maybe I heard you wrong. I misheard you. Maybe. Is there anything else that you should communicate about the summit that people should know now? We will be rolling out soon more brands that will be attending. Yeah, so uh, in our newsletter, we're kind of giving sneak peeks of um, the information. So when, you know, we keep announcing different brands, we haven't done an official announcement on our website and we will be doing that shortly, but it is first come first serve. So if you want to be there, uh, sign up now. Yeah. That is a very smart thing for you to tell people. That's good. Pretty good. I think you did pretty good. <laughs> anyway, that's a little bit more on the Blister Summit. Again, there is going to be a lot more information getting rolled out in the coming weeks about which brands will be there, which athletes will be there this year. And yeah, more information to come. And now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with pro skier McKenna Peterson. Here we go. McKenna, we're back. Round two. We just wrapped up a great conversation that, let's see, we will be airing this coming Monday. You have to think, yeah, we're very future forward here at Blister, right? So if I, unless I'm dead wrong right now, I think what we just recorded will be coming out after this goes live. Wow. I know, right? It's like okay. Matrix level. Yeah. It's we're ve we're exactly like the Matrix here. Basically Blister is like Matrix part 4. Impressive. Yeah. Scary. Yep. But we unless I have this wrong in which case just part of the Matrix. I think this is going to go up this Friday and then the non gear heavy conversation where we get to just learn more about your story, that's going to go up Monday over on our Blister podcast. 
Are Perfect. You, are you clear? I am clear. Okay. Copy. Yeah. But this part, this is where we just get to nerd out about gear. And this is where we also get to drink whiskey, which we might be doing right now. Whistlepig. Whistlepig. Pretty good. It's <laughs> She, she's a fan. Yep, we're we're uh, we're rolling with um, the piggyback six year rye at the moment. Yeah. So let's recap. We had a, a nice dinner. We recorded a blister podcast. Now we're coming in hot on Gear Thirty, and it's time to learn more about your particular gear preferences. And ladies and gentlemen, McKenna has said she's a bit of a gearhead. <laughs> fair you you accept this fair fair okay i like gear i like learning about gear I like tinkering with gear yeah i am biased i am a sponsored athlete i ski for k2 skis and scott sports yeah so disclaimer going into it but again this is about your particular preferences right yep and so and we should say you know full disclosure so we have a mutual colleague and friend, Jed Yeiser. Shout out to Jed Yeiser. Unless we start talking shit about <laughs> any of Jed's inventions. But off air, you were talking, we were having a conversation about the K2 Mindbender 99. Yes. Wonderful ski. And on the Jed Yeiser note, yeah. Jed has had a massive influence on my skiing. Huh? On your and skiing? On my skiing oh, and my gearheadness. Okay. I know. I, I I would be willing to give, like, I'm all right with the idea of Jed having a massive influence on your gearheadness. I, I don't know if I like the idea. That feels like we're giving Jed a whole oh, lot of credit. credit. <laughs> if, if, if Jed's getting credit for your skiing. No, he is. We've skied a lot together. He's a phenomenal skier. Have you skied with him? I have not skied with Jed. Oh, you have to go skiing with him. He refuses to ski with me. Oh, he is a phenomenal skier. And I just said that he refuses to ski with me to see if his head would explode. <laughs> we've, been, we've, we've been, we've been, this is supposed to have already happened. Yeah. So um, it hasn't it, yet. It will. See, I feel like I've had to recruit you in. Like now I actually believe you. I think because you now are like in on this, like now we'll, we have like strength in numbers and like skiing with Jed will actually happen. It'll happen. Okay. Yep. Promise. Okay. Thank God I'll make for, sure it happens. Thank God for you, because right. on his own, Jed has never skied with me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Okay. Okay. We'll say more. He. This. That's a big claim. Yeah. I mean, especially for like a really accomplished skier. So I've always been a gearhead in the sense that I've been particular about my gear. Yeah. I've tinkered with my gear. You know, I've paid attention to what components are what and what I like and what I don't like, and I've taken pieces from different brands and put them on other brands. Working with Jed at K2 has opened my mind immensely. And I have learned so much from him about gear outside of just skis, which Jed is the head engineer for K2. He designs the skis. He's brilliant and a phenomenal skier. Those two things need to go together to design good skis. But even outside of skis, just talking to him about gear, it is exploded my mind and I've gotten so into it and I've learned so much that that in itself has made me a better skier because I've paid more attention huh. to what I'm on and what it's doing and how to interpret the feelings that I'm feeling and then how to adjust to make them be what I want them to be. Hmm. We don't agree on everything, hmm. 
but Good. I've learned to have a voice and make my own opinions the mm-hmm. correct way from what he has taught me. Okay. My God. Wow. We just came out of the gate with Jed praise. <laughs> that was that was something else. I um, hope he doesn't listen to this. His head might explode. It literally <laughs> might explode. And I'm pretty sure he's going to listen to this. So Jed Geyser, things are coming up all aces mm-hmm. for you right now, man. Yeah. No, he he has been one of our favorite people to talk gear with at Blister, um, for sure. He and I don't agree on everything, for sure, but um, he is certainly a, a voice and a perspective we we appreciate around here. Though I hear he's a pretty mediocre skier, and I think he's just dodging. He's just know? dodging. Yeah, he's just dodging. Mm-hmm. So Jed, till that's the story until mm-hmm. you actually actually come skiing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. This is our episode to, again, like we said, learn a bit about just your particular preferences. And the hope here is, you know, we talked to Chris Davenport and asked kind of a a similar series of questions. We talked to Bodie Miller. And I think the idea here is as we all just get to hear different, very high level skiers talk about what's important to them that hopefully it will help the rest of us kind of refine, maybe get a new thought and just, you know, through a little bit of triangulation, kind of, you know, pick and choose. And they're like, oh, I love the sound of that or that argument sounds right or maybe I should stop dismissing that and give it a whirl. So that's what we're here to do. So let's start with a very kind of general question. What ski gear across the whole spectrum of ski gear would you say you are the pickiest about ski boots go on pickiest about ski boots okay is this because you're a former racer so all of them have to say that or (laughs) i mean that does seem to be a common refrain well it's such an important part of how you ski right it's your connection to the tools that you're using and how you connect to those tools matters so much in what you're doing and yes i'm a former ski racer and i'm a woman and i have very small feet so the ski boot battle is a real thing Mm -hmm. and i know it is a thing that a lot of high level female skiers experience that have smaller feet yeah yeah yes and i mean people who've listened to gear 30 for a while they they know that we've been banging this drum because as you and i have been talking about you know a number of our female reviewers are on the same sort of complaint it still feels like this is hanging out there for whatever ski boot manufacturer would like to grab this ring but without putting words in your mouth then let me hear exactly what you want What's your ideal? What's the platonic form here for you? You want to have X, Y, and Z available for your skiing boot. Okay, so there's a spectrum, right? For inbounds boots, no walk mode, ripping inbounds. Ski boot that is stiff, that is a size 22. That exists. A lot of brands make a great boot in that size that skis really well inbounds. My current boots, I love them. K2 Recon Pro, perfect. Where we're lacking is a lightweight touring boot 
with a decent walk mode that is a size 22 and has a solid stiffness for aggressive downhill performance. Throughout my research, this doesn't exist. It is hard to come by. So for example, I have been skiing in a boot that was manufactured in 2013, only that year that I've been purchasing off of eBay. Up until this past year, 2021, I cracked my last pair and I cannot find them anymore. So I'm not sure what to do. It is hard to find a lightweight, very stiff women's touring boot in a size 22. And the big thing, just to underscore what you've said, you have been clear, like in our conversations, again, former ski racer, often this means this is the sort that is happy to put up and not even put up with, but just prefers like a pretty heavy boot in bounds. But you've been real clear. You're like, no, I want that lightweight boot for going uphill and getting on top of big stuff. Right. So there is the option to have a boot with a walk mode that skis well, that does not have that lightweightness or a big walk mode that walks really well Yeah. in a size 22. That's stiff. Those do exist. Um, that's what I've been using that does work, but... I often find myself on big missions, big days, big peaks, you know, where I'm hiking for eight to 10 hours to get to the top of something. And when I get up there, I want to ski like I know how to ski. So I need to find a boot that I can walk in for 10 hours over, you know, 8,000 vert and then be able to charge going downhill. Yeah. And maybe I just need to get stronger. So I can carry the heavy boots up there, but it sure would be nice if there was a lightweight option. And I feel like that does exist in men's sizes and not women's sizes. Yeah. And I would kind of agree with you. And I mean, this is kind of this, you know, it's an ongoing sort of question, let's say for, for all of the reasons that you've just said, just like on the men's side of things, we have kind of banged the drum of like lightweight, is cool, but it is going to have a real effect on the downhill. And we just still get pushback on this. And some folks are like, you guys don't appreciate enough, like really, really lightweight gear. And I just think for a lot of typical skiers, people that aren't on the clock on a race to get up something, that we have just tried to caution people and make them more clear on some of the compromises they're going to be making if they're getting on really ultralight stuff because you are the one who just said, I want to be able to go downhill. I think your quote was like, I know how to ski or like, I know what it's like you do. Right. But again, so it's like, don't take our word for it. You know, it's like people who really know what they're doing kind of are in that same world of and so i am i am like go uphill or go downhill on whatever gear you want but i'm with you and i think that the current guys boots we've got it better right now in terms of striking exactly the balance that someone might be interested in than women do right and that makes sense because the market 
apparently is bigger for men. I don't know the numbers. It would make sense that it is. So that's what the manufacturers are going for in the first place. And then maybe eventually they will branch out and create this in the smaller sizes for us to use. And to that point, I think almost a bigger deal than the weight of the boot is the walkability. So a decent walk mode, a good range of motion, and then a walk mode, a walk mode that has a good range of motion, but then locks in solid. And the walk mode doesn't have any give when it's locked in that affects the flex of the boot when you're skiing downhill. I feel like that's a place that could use a bit more thought and engineering and ingenuity. The walk mode's a big deal. You can go pretty far on a heavier boot if you have good walkability. Yep. Agreed. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm just I like made it, it made it no, a word. No, I we're definitely gonna say that's a word. Yeah, I think we use that. So if we've posted that word on blister, we, we'll just say that that's part of the English lexicon now. So Right, even if it has little red underneath it when you type it, <laughs> right, it's <right>. fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yep. I agree with you on that front. But again, I also definitely, you know, at a certain point, you know, how far is this tour? All right. So, I, I, and, and again, this is about getting clear on what you, the listener, actually does. Because if you're doing, you know, one and a half hour to two hour tours and doing one lap, then you can probably accept that weight penalty much more easily than if you're doing like big monster missions. And so that's the balancing act, I think, in all of this. Right. And I have a great setup for that. That one and a half, two hour hike, one lap, maybe two laps. Uh huh. Great setup. Happy with it. It's those big days. Yeah. It's that trip that I just did in Alaska where yeah. we camped for two weeks and we're hiking every single day, but still filming. That's where I want this magical boot that I don't know if it exists. I think it exists for the men because I hear about it and I see it, but maybe it's just a pipe dream. So in this Alaska trip, and by the way, in our Blister podcast, we talked quite a bit about this new film that you are in. Uh, and it's part of the reason why you're here in Crested Butte right now. Uh, for this, the matchstick premiere of the stomping grounds. How many days did you guys actually ski tour? I believe we actually ski toured for 10 days. 10 days. These were not 10 straight days in a row, were they? Yes, they were. At day like three, I would have been like, I'll, uh, I'll just cook for y'all. I'll see you back at camp. I think three was the hard one. And then it just was fine after that. Really? I just accepted it. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you guys were getting on top of some big stuff and not like in absolute, pristine, perfect, forgiving conditions, to say the least. Pretty tough conditions. Yeah. Hard skinning, hard climbing. Everything was a little puckering uh -huh. and difficult. So we're throwing it out once again. Any ski manufacturer that would love to claim the size 22.5 walks great, lightweight, but can, should we just say, would you accept a 120, a stated 120 flex or a stated 130? Do you care? This is your, it's your floor. An actual 120 flex that matches a 120 flex of an inbounds, say race boot. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot of, there's some give with the <laughs> yes. flex ratings, yes. but yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So we'll take a, a, a legit 120, a legit though 120, lightweight, great walking boot, 22.5. That is McKenna's top of the wish list. Okay. All right. Um, and, and this is what we've kind of been speculating about. And we've been speculating about this for years. Like we definitely understand there are massive expenses, right? To create a new mold to do this. And so dear ski boot manufacturers, we acknowledge that, but we're just curious slash optimistic that if a company really grabs that ring, we think there might be a significant number of skiers that would be happy to purchase them. I'll buy, I will buy them at retail. Okay. I will. Okay. You go. And, and so will our reviewers. Another point to make true 22. It can't be a 23.5 right. with a big liner. Right. That just doesn't work. Right. And we've talked a bit about this. And again, um, listeners to some of my conversations with Matt Manzer on these deep dive conversations on boots, Matt has done a really, really good job of talking about really the adverse effects of when you put a foot into a boot shell that is too big, you're going to really, really mess up the flex of that boot. So we've been over that ground before. So anyway, that's what McKenna wants for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Can we talk about skis? Yes. Do we need to refill that glass? Are you good? How are you doing? Uh, maybe. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll give it a second. Okay. Um, All right, skis. Okay. As a generalization, when it comes to skis, are you most particular about, let's say, flex pattern? How stiff the skis are or how soft they are? Are you most particular about mount point? Are you most particular about length, rocker profile, or weight? You could never choose just one <laughs> of all of those options. I am particular about all of them, and each ski design has an aspect of each of those. Yeah. Okay. So, in general, I ski a fairly stiffer ski with a flat tail, which that's something I'm pretty particular about that, you know, that varies from athlete to athlete or yeah. skier to skier. Yeah. I like a flat tail with a, I guess, middle of the road rocker profile. Mm -hmm is what I prefer. I don't prefer skis that are too rockered. I will ski my skis with no rocker and like full camber. Those are still pretty fun, <laughs> but I don't prefer them. Are you trying to say you're better than us? <laughs> no, no, is no, that no. where this is? No, it sounds like you're no, saying not you're better, which you are. It's cool. No, not Again, at all. We don't talk shit. We state facts. Um, what? No, rockered skis make skiing way easier. Right. S skiing, yeah, skiing a ski without rocker is a lot more difficult. That's why you have to be better at skiing. Oh, no. Every skier can do that. You just have to put in the hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, true. But that also points to a higher level of skiing. Everything you just said, everything you just said, very much kind of backs up the like, okay, we are, we are now talking with a former ski racer. You're, you're, you're pretty, you're stereotyping yourself right now. So we don't want too much rocker. We like a flat tail. I am curious though, like, again, do you get on different skis and find yourself 
pretty sensitive to mount point or not so much? I am very sensitive to mount point, but it changes depending on the ski. So I can't say I always mount my skis on recommended. I can't say I always mount yeah. my skis a centimeter forward or a centimeter back. It depends on the ski. What ski have you spent the most time on, most days on snow, either this past season or the last two seasons? The Mindbender 98 Ti, which earlier we were talking about the Mindbender 99. Yeah. I've spent the most time on the Mindbender 98. Okay. I also love the 99. The 98 is the woman's version. Yep. It is a little more poppy yep. and quick where the 99 has that buttery, smooth, I'm Damn. on top of the world when I'm making this turn yeah. kind of feel. So that's the difference between those two skis. And actually, we worked with K2 this past two years to put those two skis together to get both of those qualities into one ski. Huh. So we'll, we'll see that huh. s- soon. But Break, Breaking news. Well, maybe. We'll see. But Okay. Okay. I've spent the most time on the Mumbitter 98. Okay. TI. But you have... Okay. But... Now you got me spun, I know, spun out. Lots of different conversations. So, but you've also spent a decent amount of time on the ninety nine. Yes. Okay. And for the record, you are like five foot five. I am five foot five. I weigh one hundred and twenty five pounds. And you have been on the ninety nine that we've been talking about. You were spending most of your time on the one seventy seven. The ninety eight is a one seventy four, and the ninety nine is a one seventy seven. Okay. Okay. Just that, I think that's helpful to help like listeners know like, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Since we're talking about like how trying to figure out how sensitive you are to certain ski equipment, whatever, do you notice any difference between that 177 and 174? Like that, that three centimeters or are you like, I See, don't care. That's hard because they're such, they're different skis. Yeah. They're very similar skis. They were designed with the same idea in mind, but they're diff- They're still different skis. So an example of length is with the Mindbender 106C, which does not have a layer of tetanol in it. It's a carbon spectral braid ski, women's ski, great ski. But skiing that in the 174 length, and then the one, it's either 168 or 169 length, for some reason, the shorter ski, in my opinion, skied way better. Huh. Which I normally ski in that... 170 range the 174 to 180 kind of is my preferred range of skiing but the 168 69 of that ski for me skied way better and i loved it it was so much fun so that's a good example of how lengths can feel different even if it's not what you think you want yep it's all ski dependent and ski shape and ski technology dependent Yep. Here's an interesting fun fact, maybe. This is something that we are doing more and more of at Blister is getting the same ski in a couple of lengths. And so interestingly, like we have only skied the men's version of the Mindbender, the 108. You've been talking about the 106. So we've only been skiing that in the like, I think it's 186 stated. And that ski feels sort of right at that length, but in your beloved Mindbender 99, we got on the 184 and I was like, what is happening right now? And 
I called Jed and I was like, this feels like a lot of ski, especially for a place like Crested Butte. And I was like, send the 177. And like you were just saying, like, I like that felt odd. Normally a hundred ish underfoot ski I would be. And many of our reviewers would kind of be in that 184, 185 length. And that ski in that length to us felt better in the 177. So interesting. Like sometimes you just don't know. And that's why you actually ski this stuff and then go report on it. But it sounds like it's interesting to me that you had that experience, but with the Mindbender 106. Hmm. Yeah. So it's it, that is an interesting thing with ski length because there are so many options for each ski, right? But it's impossible to develop each ski individually. So a ski gets developed in a specific length and then it gets adjusted. All of its dimensions get adjusted as you go shorter or longer. But you don't actually know until production how that feels. And then, you know, you can bring up mount point too. Do we need to adjust the mount point for these? And I know there are formulas that the engineers use that, you know, usually work, but it can't be 100% of the time. You know, sometimes a ski will ski way better at one length than it does in the other. We've been talking about skis, but we've been, there's been an assumption here that we're talking about kind of inbound skis. So what happens when you switch over to touring skis, how similar do you want your backcountry skis to feel and perform like your inbound skis? Or for you, is it like, whoop, we're just in a totally different sphere now. So we're looking for totally different things. How do, what's your approach to this? Well, that's a hard question because it depends on what I'm doing, right? I ski so much and a big portion of my year is dedicated to, you know, ski media, ski filming, ski photos. In which case, I do like my backcountry ski to match an inbound ski. When I'm filming, when I'm shooting photos, I'm on a heavier ski. When I'm out touring and going on these big missions, which sometimes I am filming and shooting photos on those missions, but where the mission is more important than the media, I'm usually on a backcountry specific ski. So that's where I'm going for lightweight, but still confident, skis well, something I trust, something I know. So kind kind of both there. Yeah. Okay. Keep going though. Like when you were talking about your inbound ski, you said, I like a pretty flat tail. I don't, I'm not looking for a ton of rocker. I think those were the two primary things you said. Did I leave it? Correct. Okay. Confident fairly stiff can charge through you know undulating terrain and not throw me all over the place that's incredibly important okay so then the other question i asked you that again was kind of implied talking inbound skiing what actual ski have you spent the most days on this last season or the last you know two seasons actual inbounds nope touring touring the K2 Talkback 96. AKA Wayback 96? Wayback, yeah, yeah. Dude's version yeah, sorry. AKA Wayback 96, yes. I have been skiing on a Wayback because they don't make the Talkback in a long length. Aha. Uh-huh. So I've been skiing on a Wayback with a Talkback graphic. Okay. What length are you on? 177. Okay. Okay. Do you know the longest length of the Talkback? 171, which I do have a pair. Yeah. And I kind of use them but 
yeah. when I skied Rainier this spring, I skied them on the way back, 96, 177. That was a long hike. Yeah. And I took the longer ski. Yep. Okay. Which that I don't want to sound like, are we we're recording, right? Yeah. I don't want to sound like I am stating that longer skis are better. It's just a particular thing, especially when I'm backcountry skiing in adverse conditions. Mm-hmm. For example, Matt Rainier. Not great conditions. That 177 length is very trustworthy. Where the shorter ski, even though it would be lighter, easier to walk in. Yeah. is maybe a little more unstable, in my opinion. Yeah. And again, like, I, it, it is funny that sometimes the comments come in and somebody's mad because they're like, you guys are always skiing, like, longer stuff. And I, 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 I kind of say, like, I don't care what you ski. Like, hopefully all we're doing is maximizing your time out on the mountains and whatever length or whatever weight gets you to have the most fun experience that's that's the only thing we're going for here yep but yeah i mean again that's why i think we're doing this series that to hear a number of different people come in and offer their perspectives about if they tend to air a bit longer or a bit shorter or whatever and then people can take that and go sort of you know, translate all of that however they wish to their own equipment and what are they doing on a given day or whatever. So anyway, I, yeah, I don't think you need to, I don't think you need to, first of all, apologize for what you actually ski (laughs) on. But secondly, to like, yeah, I mean, no one ought to care. If you like shorter skis, ski shorter skis. And if you like snowblades, ski snowblades. Can be fun, really. I've never I've, tried. I'm a little afraid. What? I'm scared of a lot of things. I'm scared of snowboards. I have to telemark this season. Oh, that's going to be so cool. Ugh. How much time have you spent tellying? A little bit. Not okay. a lot. My dad was a telly skier. Have you tellied more or less than five days? More. More or less than 20 days? Probably right around there. Okay. We have to make a telly video. If you're bored and have nothing going oh, no, on, don't you don't want me in that video? Okay. All right. Yeah. Then we have to make a snowboard video. How many days have you been on a snowboard? About three. Definitely don't want me on that video. I mean, we might. It'd be entertaining. Yeah. I just am gonna. Yeah. I'm worried about breaking stuff. You know, bones <laughs> and wrists yeah. and yeah. tailbone. Tailbones. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, do what you want. It's just all this great equipment out there. Get down the mountain however you want to get down the mountain. It's really fine. Okay, but the question, I think we got diverted on the length thing. Right, sorry. When you were talking about, you know, for inbound stuff, you prefer a flatter tail, not a ton of rocker. Let's just stick to those two elements of a ski. Do you still feel that same way when you're getting into backcountry stuff? Yes, pretty much the exact same. Flat tail, not a ton of rocker. Even less rocker, maybe. What? No. Well, it again, it depends on what I'm doing when I'm backcountry skiing. Well, dif- if I'm going to make pow laps, uh-huh. like I'm going to go ski some deep pow. Yeah. I'm actually touring on what is supposed to be an inbound ski. It's wide. It's not created to be lightweight. It has rocker. Still has a flat tail. But race snob. <laughs> yeah. But it floats well and it skis well on powder. Yep. 
Well, what's the ski? What are you What are you talking about? That is the Mindbender 115C. Yep. Which is actually fairly lightweight. Yep. For yep. being that big of a ski, it's yep. actually kind of a great touring ski, even though it's not what it's meant to mm-hmm. be. So I have a pair of king pins on that ski, and if I'm going to ski pow in the backcountry, that's what I'm on. Okay, so your other scenario where you're like, I want even less rocker. My other scenario is when I'm going for a mission. I'm doing a big day. I'm out all day. I'm hiking a lot of vert. I may be not skiing the best conditions or I am skiing great conditions, but I'm still hiking super far. I'm on the K2 Wayback 96 in a 177 length. And as you and I were talking about earlier, you think this is a underrated ski flying under the radar. Seriously flying under the radar, especially with the boom of backcountry skiing in the past couple of years. The amount of people that I run into at the normal touring spots outside of Sun Valley has increased tenfold. And I don't see any of those skis. And the K2 Wayback line is phenomenal. And it has been for a long time. Like, that is a very good backcountry ski. Yeah. I think it's big in Europe. Yeah. Not quite over here. Yeah. Yep. I think you are right. And now I feel guilty that, like, I, I have not grab that ski now jed is definitely listening to this and he's gonna murder me but like i have probably not grabbed that ski as much as i should have so all i can do is say i will early season get back touring on that ski because i think it probably does deserve a bit of a refresher we have i think like we've been such big fans of the sick day series and I think those are really good. And I think that basically though, the Wayback series, and I I don't mean to overstate this, a lot of that predictability, a lot of that like punching above its weight that the Sick Day series does, the Wayback is doing that in a little bit more of a traditional package, further back mount point, less rocker, et cetera. So- Exactly. It is a more traditional ski, which is why I like it. I mean, I I know what it is. Yeah. And I mean, I've been skiing on it for eight years now. So I I know what I'm getting there. And I think that the more traditional style of ski is great in the backcountry for the small details. Things like kick turns and putting your skis in the snow when you get to the top to take off your ski. Like, it's just... I prefer more traditional skis in the backcountry. You're old school. I and I'm old school and, and a ski racer, as you've pointed out a multiple times. times. Yep. But. <laughs> old school <laughs> ski racer tour. Yeah. Okay. Let's fight for a little bit. Okay. Women's specific gear. All right. The floor is yours. Talk about this. Obviously a big issue in kind of the industry. And is this a good thing? Should we be pushing this harder? Should we not be doing that? Give me your own personal take on this. Okay. So to start, I should say I ski a combination of women's specific gear and men's. I don't know if it's men's specific gear or like I don't even know how it is. It's like I ski a combination of women's specific gear and men's gear. Yeah. Or it's like we, we like literally sometimes you see this in the marketing. It's like either women's specific or unisex. Right, (laughs) which is what I want to talk about. Okay. So 
It's in the way that we communicate the products. I do agree that baseline, every single skier is an individual, not separated by gender. You know, like I said, I weigh 125 pounds. There are a lot of men that are my size. There are a lot of women that are quite a bit bigger than me or quite a bit smaller than me. You know, we run the gamut on both genders. And the gear that you choose and the gear that works for you is going to be different from the next person and the next person. So it's really hard to take hard gear and separate it into two categories of men's and women's because that doesn't necessarily fit everyone. What I don't like about getting rid of women's specific gear is it gets rid of women's place in the industry. I feel like we are underrepresented anyway. And if you take the label and the marketing and all the surface level stuff away from us, then it pushes the women even farther away. That's why I think it is important to keep women specific hard goods. It keeps a space, it keeps an area, it creates gear for women that are just entering into skiing or biking or any outdoor industry. And it gives them a direction to point. Like, okay, this is women specific. I'm gonna look at all of these options and figure out what I want here. Where if everything was just men's, it's kind of overwhelming and overbearing. And I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's for me here. Do I belong? And I don't want to create that. I want more women in this. I want everyone to feel included and accepted. And that's where I have a hard time with getting rid of women-specific hard goods. Okay, let, let me try this and we'll just see where we get. I want the exact same thing, right? I want everyone that's interested in this sport that we love to think that is for me. I guess the question I have is sort of twofold. Like you said, there's all different body types. Uh, to me, like it is uh, in this very conversation, you and I, I'm 5'10", 175 pounds. You're 5'5", 125. We ski the same length of the Mindbender 99. Okay. I also think that it's interesting, modern times, whether you agree with this or do not, we seem to be moving away from these very distinct notions of like male, female. So to me, that's at least just another interesting element to introduce in how is the best way to think about these things. Again, when we're both anchored in the exact same goal, we want more people to feel welcome and invited into these spaces. You know, you belong. So I guess for me is just, it, I think this is where we're in deep agreement. Like the question of how do we best accomplish that same goal that we have? And you've just laid out your case for why you believe it is important to keep talking about women's specific gear. And I just wonder if we are just moving more toward a model of unisex and then we can 
throw some different graphics or some different top sheets on a couple different, you know, like let's say the Mindbender 99 in a 177. If there's an all pink top sheet and I'm like, that's sick and I'm taking that one and you're like, I like the all black one or vice versa, cool. And I think that it's not just, by the way, the ski industry that's wondering or wrestling with this. I think it's a lot of industries. Correct. So I don't know. What do you say to anything that I just said there? You say like, I hear you, but like you're wrong. And like this, like literally I'd accept that. If you're like, I hear that unisex argument, I don't feel the the weight of it. I don't feel the efficacy of it. I hear the unisex argument and I agree with it. It needs to be done the right way. It needs to be done in a way that is all inclusive. So if we're talking about the ski industry in particular, you know, you take a brand like K2 that I work closely with. If they get rid of all of their women's models, say they were to do that in the future yeah. and create an all unisex line of skis, I believe that they need to have an equal number of female and male testers putting input into those skis. Uh-huh. And every brand that does does that needs to do it that way. And both voices need to be heard and there needs to be a middle ground. And that's how it's going to work, which is hard in this industry because it is male dominated. And throughout history, it has been. And there are more women in this industry right now. And it is increasing, which is wonderful. Yep. But if we do go to full unisex hard goods, both voices need to be heard from both genders. And to your point on graphics, I think it's possible to create graphics that fit for both genders. I think that that is a misconstrued thing that we need different graphics. For example, again, with K2, have you seen the brand new Mindbender 115 and 116, the big powder skis? Yeah. The men's are pink and purple and the women's are orange and black. Yeah. I thought that was rad. Yeah. Both look good. I would ski on either. I love both of those look great. Yeah. So I think it's possible to create unisex skis with a singular graphic that fits everyone. And, you know, maybe that changes as we go into youth stuff. So maybe with youth models, we can keep it separate and have different graphics and so forth. Just, you know, for marketing purposes. But, you know, when it comes to powder skis, they, they can all be the same. When it comes to powder skis? Yeah. Okay, that's like one... I know, I know. That was a... <laughs> I didn't really know what to say. I didn't want to say adult skis, but like well, free ride skis Yeah, here's is a, a good example. Here's the other thing. We're just working this out in real yeah, time, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, another thing we could do, because we talk about this a lot, let's say there is a guy listening to this conversation and let's say that guy happens to be five foot six and 125 pounds. He very well might be better off on the Mindbender 98 that you've been talking about. And that's again where I feel like this can go all kinds of different ways if on my version, which I'm not saying is the best one, but we're, we're trying this out. If we just moved more to a unisex, but let's say kept, we're making them anyway right now, but like here's a Mindbender 99, but if you happen to be a lighter person or just like lighter, more playful skis or something, 
also look at this 98C. It kind of works both ways, right? Like right now, there is a kind of barrier being put up where apparently dudes aren't supposed to go over here and women aren't supposed to go over here. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. It's just equipment. Go to the thing that might actually line up best with your particular preferences or how aggressive you are or what you're just looking for. Right. I fully agree with you there. And it's a the 98, the women's version, is a TI, not C. It does have a sheet of metal in it. But th- those two skis are a great example of this uh-huh. because they are both great skis. They're both strong. They're yeah. both hard charging. And you skied them both, which I have not. But they're different yeah. from each other. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of men out there that would prefer the 98 feel. And there are women out there that would prefer the 99 feel. And having a gender label on those skis has created a barrier. And that's been hard. So it would, yeah, combining those skis into one and having it be unisex would be like, that's the ultimate. Hmm. Wow. I feel a little bit like maybe you're coming around to my side of things. I don't know how you feel about this. (laughs) I did say in the beginning that I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Like there's no, I don't, I don't believe there's a scientific reason to have gendered skis. Yeah. But I do think it's important for marketing purposes and inclusive purposes and for ski brands. I mean, imagine if, imagine if ski brands never created women's specific product. Do you think I would have a job? I'd love to answer this question. Again, we're just working this out in real time. My humble opinion that could be very wrong, right? Is if we moved to more of this unisex model, for all of the reasons we just talked about, some of which you seemed on board with. Yeah, very much. Then what I would absolutely want to see, you talked about the significance, which I completely agree with you. You're like, well, if we do that, then brands better be like 50-50 in terms of like male and female reviewers. I would like to see more energy go to like 50-50 in terms of athletes and more emphasis put on outreach. So in other words, again, just my opinion. I don't know that I think going and telling the gear story is the best lever, the best vehicle to achieve the kind of open invitation, the welcoming spirit. If if the goal is to get more women, more everyone, feeling like I'm home there. I think there can be other levers that could be powerful, but that's going to take real ass commitment from brands, not like, yeah, 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 no, we'll do that. Like real commitment. And that's my little, like, I I don't know that to be true, but like I would wager on that. That is a great point. I agree with you. There are other avenues there. And it would take a lot of commitment yep. from multiple brands multiple. that yep. can't just be one brand yep. that needs to be an industry-wide thing. Yep. Agreed. And God, I would love to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I would absolutely love to see that happen. Good conversation. Thank you. I love yeah, that no, thank stuff. thank you. Thank you. I love like, I, like that's the beauty of a conversation like this. Like, can we work some stuff out in real time that... Mm-hmm that we're willing to move and shift a little bit on and and we're all just trying to get to the most effective answer and and so like i i love that um but i do want to hear your weird opinions about bindings 
<laughs> I do have weird opinions about paintings. <laughs> um, I, I, I definitely always defer at the jump from anybody coming from a solid race background because I feel like typically there is a safe assumption, a, a correct assumption, that there is more sensitivity built in there um, to how a binding might interact with a ski, etc. So I am in a full position of deference here, but I'm just curious to hear you talk about when it comes to a given, you know, alpine bindings, are you that picky versus touring bindings? The floor is yours. I am much more picky about my alpine bindings. I'm somewhat picky about my pin bindings. Very picky about my alpine bindings. I ski on the look pivots. Now the look pivot 15, super psyched that they came out with that. Yep. That is an incredible binding. Just made my life. I love that binding. And if I am skiing super hard in the backcountry, I'm filming something that's, you know, I'm really going for it. I need to have full confidence in my skis and what I'm doing. I'm skiing on the cast binding with the look pivot 15. So this is my favorite binding all around. And this might sound weird and might be wrong, but I feel like when I'm on the pivots, I have more of that feeling of my skis being right underneath my body. You know, when you're making turns and your upper body's quiet and your feet are just moving side to side and they're like directly underneath you and you have full control and you're so precise with where you're putting your edges. I haven't been able to find that with another binding. So this is the interesting part for me is that sometimes you will hear people and often, frankly, a lot of like comp skiers talk about the reason that they trust pivot bindings the most is because they believe that they will release more consistently when they want to, not release when they don't want to. But what you are talking about specifically is not that. You're talking about the downhill performance feel. Oh, yeah. It's a feel. Like, I care about my bindings releasing. I adjust <laughs> my dins a lot. Huh. But I've, you know, had moments where my skis didn't come off when they should have, but maybe my din was on 12 and, you know, I told you my size. Yeah, yeah. So how much of your, let's say, preference for the pivot, how much of it has to do with that very specific feel in terms of downhill performance that you get out of that pivot versus the confidence you have in terms of its that release value, the safety part? Those are two, two different things, right? Like the safety element of it versus the performance part of it. What does that ratio look like to you? I would say I put emphasis on the performance part of it. It's the performance and the way that binding feels under my feet that matters the most to me. I mean, I'm I'm pretty trusting in my bindings. Like, I trust that they're going to come off when they need to. I am often in situations where if I crash, I'm in a bad situation anyway. I never want my binding to come off 
I never want a pre-release. Ever. You would, I do not want my bindings to pre-release. So you would much rather err on the side of like, do not come off when I don't <laughs> want you to. And you'll accept if that means maybe I'm in a spot where it's like, it'd be sweet if this binding was coming off right now. You'd rather err on the like, I don't want pre-releases. Yes. And that might be a ski racer thing, but that's how I've always done it. I err on the side of I do not want my ski to come off unless it really needs to. So so this is the thing that I think is interesting as we were talking about this a bit earlier. I feel like personally, I can, I'm like the opposite of you in that I can pretty comfortably move from alpine this alpine binding to that alpine binding to that alpine binding. And when it comes to touring bindings, I get a lot more particular and feel like the differences are just amplified way amplified so this is kind of this has been a funny one so you're yeah i mean so i don't even know how to think about this other than like i'm very happy to accept the like yeah you're not a former racer this is this is what we now i think call the Bodie miller argument (laughs) like i don't maybe know totally what you're talking about i just accept that you're like up here and i'm I'm just (laughs) down here um but like it is interesting given that sensitivity you're talking about about what you like so much about the pivot that then when you're like but hey when it comes to touring bindings whatever it's all good explain that is interesting cuz i do notice differences between the different bindings i ski on and so when i'm touring i'm either on the cast yeah which when i'm skiing down i want to pivot, pivot. Yep. so it's we can kind of yep. neglect that and i ski the kingpin and I ski a couple different versions of Dinafits. And I I don't feel what we had spoken about earlier. What I do notice yeah. is how the ski walks. Yeah. And what happens when you pick up your foot yeah. with your ski dangling. Yeah. And that's why I like the Dinafit. Yeah. I like when I pick up my foot, like to make a kick turn, it just yep. the something about the pivot point of that toe. Is it's a really nice pivot, yeah. And the kingpin doesn't have that as much, mm-hmm. but with the heel on the kingpin, I'm more confident. Yep. And this just in case, I mean, sorry, people, you've probably heard me talk about this on Gear Thirty. First of all, I have said multiple times, Dina Fitz go uphill phenomenally well. So I'm totally with you on that. The biggest thing that I have noticed in my testing of various DinaFit bindings is like in a hard carve, I feel like there is a this loss of power transfer. It's almost like it just that energy just gets absorbed in a hard carve in a way that it no good alpine binding does that. A binding like a kingpin or a shift or a marker duke where you are not in tech pins on the heel, but you actually have a like, you know, clamp down heel. And it just weirds me out. But it's so that's what's interesting to me. Again, former ski racer isn't as sensitive to that aspect and is just much more sensitive to a point that I agree with you on, which is like in terms of that uphill performance, they're fantastic. Yeah, I don't feel the same thing that you're describing, which I'm so curious about. I feel like I've been oblivious 
And now when I, you know, once it starts to snow, I'm going to be thinking about that. But I do notice a difference between having the pins in my heel versus having like a true C-clamp locked down on my boot. Yeah. I do notice that difference. And I just, and I adjust the way I ski because of it. Yep. I love this now because you're, there's only, this can only go one of two ways. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to come back and be like, you're an idiot and have no idea what you're talking about. Or you're going to be like, screw you. You just ruined a certain type of binding for me. So I I can't wait to hear which it is. Um, Yeah. Probably you're an idiot, but whatever. We'll see how it goes. Anything else to talk about on the on the binding front or at front you've, you've just said hey man if i'm walking uphill i want that binding to walk uphill well which actually seems really coherent yes which is the beauty of the cast really the way that they have designed that uphill toe yeah. it walks beautifully the only problem with that binding is it's heavy so and i mean i'm not saying that's a problem because the people that use that binding choose it and that's not a problem for them. And I use it in certain instances where it is the perfect binding, but I can't go high grain air in it. Yeah. Even though I know people that have, I'm just not burly enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. But before we do, other gear that you have really strong opinions about, we've talked about skis and boots and bindings now. Um, do you find that you're really particular about, let's throw out some options, avi packs, outerwear, goggles, or like optics in particular? She's nodding her head, all of these things. <laughs> this should be, we're going to just have to have you back on. Ski poles, what, what in terms of the non-skis or ski boots or bindings, where do you go where you're like, dude, I care a lot about this in particular? I do not care much about goggles for some reason. Okay. Um, ski poles, I care a surprising amount about. Okay. So I've been skiing for Scott since I was 18. So <sighs> I've always used Scott poles. Those are great ski poles. My favorite. Anytime that I've like forgotten Are we them, talking like the old school? Oh like yeah, they've loop? been the same forever. Yeah, okay. If I've forgotten my poles and I grab another pair, I'm like yeah. what is happened? How yeah. do you ski with these? Yeah. What are these things? Like totally overlooked, yeah. totally underrated. Those ski poles make a big difference. Those are and great ski poles. We're talking team issue, right? Oh yeah, team issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have we have said like in this buyer's guide that's out on display in front of us. I'm like, this might be the best product in all of skiing. Like seriously, <laughs> yeah. And I've been spoiled because it's all I've ever used. Yeah. And those few times when I've used something else, uh. it's been like ruined my day. Like, how did my ski poles ruin my day? But I just like no. <laughs> so. That's a big one. Ski poles. Ski right. poles. Avi pack. Okay. I do ski with an airbag. So most days, all days in the backcountry. All days in the backcountry okay. now. Yeah. Not in the spring. Do you know I haven't made this jump yet? You should do it. It's probably time. So lightweight, lightweight airbags. Yeah. You know, if you invest, <laughs> they're very expensive. But if you get a lightweight airbag, it will last you years. And then because it's lightweight, you will end up using it on a daily basis. And I think that's incredibly important because you shouldn't just grab your airbag when you're right. You know, that's that's a weird dynamic for the backcountry anyway. Yeah. You should use it every day. Get one that's lightweight and comfortable. I really like my Scott airbag. Okay. really like it. It's lightweight. It fits well. It fits all my crap in it. Works great. What size pack are you using? 
I ski in the Scott E1 30 liter on a regular basis. Okay. That's my everyday pack. Fits all my crap. Lightweight. Fits well. Skis well. Yeah. You know, it doesn't do that weird thing where it hits the back of your helmet and then yeah. pushes your goggles down over your nose. Yeah. Hate that. It doesn't flop around. It doesn't move. It's just a part of me. It's a great bag. And I use it every day. You know, regardless of avalanche conditions, it's a good habit to be in to use your airbag every single day. And you're never going to a larger pack? If I'm doing a bigger trip, like say I'm going to a backcountry yurt for four or five days, I'll be in the 40 liter. Okay. But then it does get bigger and bulkier and heavier, especially for my body size. That 30 liter is perfect. Okay. Yeah, this is dumb. I need to, sorry, I'm... (laughs) I, I need to make the move. And honestly, for I ha, it's funny. Like I'm sort of known to be the guy that's like, weight is good. Well, not when it comes to packs, right? Like I'm not getting any better suspension. Like if I go to a heavier ski or heavier binding or heavier boot, like there are performance upgrades I'm getting out of that. I am not at all prepared to talk about, I mean, aside from durability, I suppose. But like, yeah, give me the lightest Avi pack I can find and if it skis well and, you know, other things like that, then yeah, I I need to make that move over. Yeah. You need to ski with an airbag every day. Okay. It's worth it. All right. Well, um, it's kind of late. I should let you go. So we are going to wrap this up, but we do have a little tradition here on gear 30 where we kind of end things with a, what we're celebrating this week segment. And so, you know, as our guest of honor, I think we ought to give you this segment so mckenna are we just refilled our glasses tell us what you are celebrating this week so this is an easy one okay so if this airs on friday of this week my birthday Ah, was yesterday (laughs) so i am celebrating my birthday this week the day i was born october 7th october 7th so Thursday. Thursday. Okay. So again, we're playing time games here. <laughs> this is like future future stuff. That's perfect. Okay. So we we can raise a glass to another trip around the sun for you. We can raise a glass to your being back in Crested Butte, where in some ways it kind of apparently all started for you. So there's some full circle stuff going on right now. We can raise a glass to a phenomenal new film that we got to premiere a couple days ago that you have a lovely segment with your mother in. Yeah, I mean, we actually have a lot of, we have a lot of good things to celebrate this week, I think, including your birthday, so. Right, and I read on the New York Times this morning that COVID cases are in serious decline Mm. across the nation. So, we can celebrate that. We can definitely celebrate that. Hopefully that continues. Yes. That's something to celebrate. Here, here. I like all these things and this has been a blast. So again, listeners will get to hear this conversation with you on this Friday. And then just a couple of days later on Monday over on our blister podcast, you're going to get to hear more of the McKenna backstory and you're going to like that because it's a good one. So, Hey, this has been a really fun. Thanks. Um, and this has kind of been in the works for a while and you know, thank God we got to end up doing this one in person as opposed to, you know, as some remote call. So uh, I'm grateful for that too. Yes, me too. Thank you. Yeah. This has been fun. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, 
So cheers to all of the above and to your birthday and uh, to hopefully getting to see you this winter either out in Ketchum or back here. Perfect. To be determined. So we'll and, and to be continued. So we'll see where it snows. <laughs> we'll see where it snows. <laughs> all right. Bye, everybody. Take care. And that then brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. If you are enjoying these conversations, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 and leave us that five-star rating or review in Apple Podcasts because we are getting awfully close to 500 ratings, which means that we have to go make not only that Telemark video, but a snowboard video too. So let's make that happen. And thank you, really, to those of you who have already taken a moment to leave us a rating and write a review. We very much appreciate it. Now, I also want to say thanks to McKenna for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday over on our Blister podcast, where McKenna Peterson is back to tell us more about her very, very interesting life that has kind of been split between the mountains and the ocean. So don't miss that one and subscribe to the Blister podcast if you haven't already to catch that episode when it drops on Monday. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend.